The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. You know how people like to brag about their children and their grandchildren? Well, I have a child I like to brag about, and I have two grand dogs. I like to brag about them too. But right now, I just want to brag about my 339 amazing Main Street Vegan Academy graduates. We just graduated our 22nd class today, and this means that there are 20 more women and men going out into the world to help other people change their shopping cart and change what's for dinner tonight and change this planet. And that's a good thing, because it may be that we don't have a whole lot of time to do this work. So what a cool thing that we're all doing it now, people who are part of Main Street Vegan Academy and people who are part of Main Street Vegan, because you listen to this podcast, and I appreciate you so much. I am Victoria Moran, your host for this program. This is going to be so lovely because this is one of those shows when my guest is right here sitting next to me at my dining room table in New York City, and the live show is being broadcast from the studios in Unity Village, Missouri, outside Kansas City. If you are listening live and you'd like to get in on the conversation, you can call us at 816 251 Three five five five, and if you're listening to the podcast at your leisurely leisure, you are oh so very welcome as well. My guest here at this table is Nil Zacharias. You know him because he's the co-founder of One Green Planet, a super super popular site and the leading independent media company focused on food sustainability. He is host of the popular weekly podcast Eat for the Planet. You can hashtag that Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. And he is co-author with Gene Stone of the new book, pretty new. I think it's new. It's still shiny, and I haven't spilled any food on it. Eat for the Planet. Nil started his career as a media and technology lawyer 
and worked for over a decade in the digital media and online advertising space in various business and operational roles prior to founding One Green Planet. You can find him on Twitter at at NilZach, and we'll put all of his website and URL information and book ordering information on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Welcome, Neil Zacharias. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's wonderful to have you on, and I was excited about your coming anyway, and then I heard you and your co-author, Gene Stone, who's been a guest on the program, speak at the New York Vegetarian Food Festival, and I was literally at the edge of my chair. Tell me more stuff. Tell me more stuff. So I'm so glad that you're going to be able to do this for our listeners. So first, give us your history, your vegan history. You were an environmentalist first? Uh, well, so I have an interesting and probably somewhat different story in the sense that I stumbled upon the issue of, uh, of food really because of the environment. But I, within the next six months, went through this process of learning about the health connection with the animal foods. And then eventually I learned about how you, milk is produced in dairy farms, and that was just the nail in my meat-eating ways coffin. <laughs> so I, um, I was a meat eater. I grew up eating meat, and I spent most of my adult life eating meat. And it was a trip to South America on vacation uh, where I was consuming a lot of meat, where I learned about the negative impacts of uh, a livestock industry. Uh, specifically with what's happening in the Amazon rainforest. And while, so when I came back from that vacation, um, I started to dig deeper into that issue because it bothered me. I thought I was uh, well-informed and educated, but uh, I somehow didn't know how most of the food I was eating was making its way to my plate. And basically the more I started to learn about how it made its way there, the less of an appetite I really had for that food. And so I came back in January from that vacation in 2010, and by that summer, I decided uh, I wasn't going to eat meat, dairy, and eggs again, and that's been the case for the last eight years now. Wow. Now, I'm going to ask you a kind of psychological insight question. Why do you think you took that trip, and within six <laughs> months, your diet and life had changed? Thousands of people take that trip, and nothing changes. What's in Nil Zacharias that made the difference? It's a... Great question. I think I'm, I'm just inherently very curious and I tend to, when I learn about something, I tend to go all the way to try to find out every piece of information I could. Uh, I don't know if this was uh, meant to be that I took that vacation at that time. Uh, two things actually happened in that vacation. One is I, I really reconnected with nature in a big way because I spent a lot of time uh, hiking outdoors. Uh, and and so it was the same trip coincidentally where I started to understand the connection between food and how it was destroying nature. So maybe it was meant to be, but the moment I learned that there were choices I was making that I was unaware of the negative impacts of those choices, uh, I had to go down this uh, slippery slope of learning every piece of information I could. And I'm, I'm, I tend to be very evidence-based, so I need the scientific facts. I need uh, all the proof possible to decide something. And once I know the facts, it became really hard for me to continue making the same choices uh, from an intellectual standpoint, and then eventually even from an emotional standpoint, without uh, acknowledging that um, you know I would be intellectually dishonest if I continue to eat meat. So for me, it was sort of simple. Um, 
I, I understood the issues. I saw the simple solution was I needed to stop eating these foods. And uh, the beauty of it was I found out the solution was really simple. So eating plant-based foods just became exciting for me. And um, that was it. And that led me down this journey I've been on where it became kind of my mission in life as well. Mm. So how much information did you need before you actually made the switch? Had you looked into the health aspects already? I started with the environmental ones. They were, to me, just appalling. I felt like the fact that people weren't talking about this um, was, uh, you know, a, it was a planetary crisis we're facing, and it's a looming threat, but no one was talking about it. So that really grabbed my attention and got me to, you know, focus on what is the issue here. The second question that came up was, okay, that's great, but if I don't eat all this meat and dairy and eggs that I've been eating my whole life, uh, am I going to be healthy? You know, so the immediate next question. And the, luckily, in trying to find the answer to that question, I found the answer to the fact that plant-based foods are the solution to our health crisis as well. So that was the second aha for me. It was mm -hmm. like, all right, we need to do this to save humanity and to save the planet we're on. Uh, doing it may actually improve our health and actually may improve my health. What's stopping me? And the third one for me was the, the third domino that had to fall was, the, um, was to really think about the animals that are involved in the factory farming system uh, and also kind of unlearning some of the things that I learned growing up about, you know, milk is natural and, you know, cows produce milk and they need to be milked. And I had these strange facts in my head that seemed to have just been uh, put in there by culture or advertising, uh, perhaps my family as well. And then to understand that that's really not, you know, that idolized, beautiful farm uh, with, uh, with grass, uh, abundant grass and happy cows running around was not where majority of our meat, dairy and eggs were coming from. In fact, 99% of it was coming from our factory farming system. Uh, and I wanted no part of that. It was just barbaric. It felt like I'd been lied to for most of my life. Mm -hmm. So uh, the choice sort of became simple in my head. I don't think that's the approach that works for everyone. But for me, it was a logical kind of uh, one thing after another. Well, it's making a lot of sense to me because when I meet vegans, and I'm curious too, I think you said you were curious, maybe that's part of what it takes to be vegan at this time in history, hopefully uh, very soon. It won't take anything. Everybody will just do it. But I would meet probably 50-50, at least in the U.S. I know in the U.K. it's more for animal rights and somewhat less for health. Over here, I think it's half and half, animals and health. And if you get 2 or 3% of the people in, in an audience of 500 who say they're doing it for the environment, that's a lot. And I know for myself, it's because... The animals speak to my heart, the health speaks to my logic, and the environment speaks to my intellect, but in a way that I can't really comprehend because I look out the window and the environment looks fine. And even though I intellectually know that we're facing this crisis, it's hard to internalize that. Mm -hmm. How do you get people to really come to grips with whatever it is you're worried about you ought to worry about this one more. Yeah, I know. Sometimes I think we've not done a very good job of uh, talking about what the environmental impact of food really is. And to most people, it seems like this abstract thing that you don't really see for the most part. I mean, on a day-to-day -day basis, you 
you can't really see the fact that the climate is changing. You can't really see that we're overfishing uh, fish from the oceans and that the coral reefs are being bleached. You don't really see the Amazon forest being destroyed. You maybe read about this or hear about it, but it seems like it's happening somewhere else and it has no immediate impact on us. Um, and I think the way, and I've been thinking about this a lot, part of the reason I we wrote this book was we wanted to give it a give ourselves a platform to talk to people about the environmental impact of food in a in a different way. Um, and, and the way I kind of generally address it with people is with a bunch of questions. I ask people, do you really care about clean air? Most people say, yeah, I do care about clean air. Do you care about clean water? Uh, I would say 100% of people who are asked that question will say yes. And then you ask people if you do have kids or you're planning to have kids and um, do you care that they will uh, that they live in a world that is uh, safe and habitable, where food is available uh, in abundance at a at a convenient and sort of at a good price point, and that they're healthy and live long and happy lives? And you ask any parent that, and they'll say, "Of course, I care that my kids and my grandkids are happy and live healthy, long lives." And then you ask them if you ever think about how the food that you're putting on your plates three or more times a day uh, is threatening all of the above. And again, majority of people don't really think about that. And that I think just leads people into understanding that this isn't about hugging trees and you know uh, saving a small uh, patch of the forest. This is actually about the future of people because the planet will be fine. The planet will outlive all of us. It's us that are actually threatened by what we're doing to the planet. And we just don't see it. And it's not because human beings are stupid necessarily and because they are ignorant and they, they don't realize that the choices that they make have an impact. I just think that, you know, we, we discovered technology and our populations grew, grew really fast at, along the same time. And what ended up happening is that we started extracting our natural resources uh, using fossil fuels because it seemed like the most convenient way to uh, grow the uh, businesses that we were focused on and to bring um, electricity and uh, industries all across the world. So we did what was at our disposal. We didn't understand the consequences. So we may have caused climate change, but unintentionally. And the point is, now that we know that our actions, you know, with food being a big part of it, and I'm happy to go deeper into all of that, now that we know that our actions are actually causing a negative impact on our planet, and if we actually continue the way we are continuing for the next 20, even 30 years, we're going to be in a point, and I always talk about the year 2050, because I think it's, it's been 30 years from now, if you get things right, you know, I think we may be in a better place then. But if we don't make a change right now and we don't get more people to understand how food is connected to the environment, we're going to be in serious trouble. We're going to be in a planet where we have used up most of our fresh water. There's not much arable land left. And our oceans would have been overfished and destroyed and decimated at that point. And, uh, and that's going to mean all kinds of things, uh, conflict, war, lack of food. Um, and... I don't think anyone wants to see a planet like that. So for me, the environmental argument is less of a, you know, romantic argument about saving trees. Not that I don't want to save trees, but it's more of a common sense argument because 
Uh, I just want people to recognize that we have this, we're again in a race against time. Uh, and we may be the last generation that can actually do something to change the course of our, our future and actually make it one where if you look back years from now, your children and grandchildren will be asking, looking back and saying, what was my dad or mom or what was my grandfather or grandmother doing when we learned that this was the road we were headed on? How were they using their time, their energy, their money, and their resources to get us to move towards a better path? Mm. Um, and I think it starts with the plate. And I think you can convince people to turn off the faucet and you know switch to electric cars and hybrid cars as if that's a scalable solution. I think the most scalable solution that works for everyone, no matter which country, what race, what socioeconomic background you are in, is to shift plant-based foods, fruits, vegetables, legumes, grains, nuts, seeds to the center of your plate and move that meat, dairy, and eggs off it. And thanks to the work that you've been doing, Victoria, and many others are doing now in the plant-based food movement, that choice is becoming easier and easier. It is indeed. And to me, in terms of the environment, changing our diet gives us power because so many people feel so empowered. They see governments doing things that they disagree with and that seem absurd. And then they start to feel like, you know, I can't do anything, but you can, you can change your diet and that will totally change the world. And I know a lot of people that I know, you know, have lots to say about what's wrong with capitalism and maybe there's plenty wrong with it. But the one great thing about the marketplace is if you don't want one product and you want another one, that marketplace is going to change. Yeah. You know, capital, I spent time talking about capitalism, so I'm glad you brought it up because Capitalism is not a perfect system. And if you if you look at what's happened, you can blame capitalism for it uh, because capitalism uh, is all about the bottom line. It's all about, uh, you know, building shareholder value. So companies make short term decisions uh, without thinking about the long term consequences on the people or the planet. So the only measure of success in capitalism is uh, the, the, if your company is a public company, is the, your stock price. And the only way to get that going up is if you increase your revenue, make more profits. Uh, and everyone, you know, in the model of capitalism, that's how everyone wins. But it totally ignores the fact that this mentality of short-term gains um, has brought us to the point where we are today, right? So. I think the easiest way to think about it is if you look at the span of time human beings have been on this planet. This planet is, you know, 4.5 billion years old. Human beings have been on it maybe 200,000 years. And things were relatively stable on our planet for the first 200,000 years. And then suddenly in the last 200 years, things have really changed drastically. And I think there's really two reasons for that. One is uh, it took us 200,000 years to reach about 1 billion people on the planet but we went from 1 billion to 7 billion in just 200 years. And coincidentally, in those 200 years, we also went from using hand-driven methods of extracting natural resources to machine-driven methods. So, you know, agriculture was impacted, coal mining, everything was impacted. So you, you, you take a, a fisherman in the past and they had a fishing net going on the sea with a boat. Today, fishing is, you know, multi-billion dollar vessels that are equipped with sonar technology that can pinpoint fish in the ocean. So technology has just made it easier for us to 
extract natural resources from our planet much faster than those resources are capable of replenishing themselves, which is why we find ourselves in this position. So blaming capitalism, well, capitalism is just one aspect of it. And I believe we can use capitalism as a tool to bring about change because that's the system that's that's the system we have right now. So if you spend the next 20 years fighting that system, we may lose the time that we have. Instead, what if you could use the system and tell people, you know, I think there are three things that have to happen to bring about change and to change to, to make sure that this planet is a place that we can live on and thrive on. One, get consumers to understand that plant-based foods are delicious, are the solution. Um, can make them feel healthy and can make them feel amazing and can have all this positive impact on the world. Once consumers start asking for it, the very next step in a capitalistic society is that uh, the supply side has to respond with products to meet the demand. And that's exactly what's happened in the last few years. People are demanding healthier, cleaner, plant-based foods. And look at the plant-based food industry. I mean, I can, uh, it is one of the fastest growing subsectors. I mean, in fact, sales of plant-based foods in grocery stores is outpacing the sales of other items. So, which is why everyone's talking about the hottest new plant-based meat or cheese is because people are demanding it and then companies respond by uh, trying to, well, profit from it or trying to meet that demand. The bottom line is actually doing the right thing. It's getting people to eat the things that they should be eating. And then the last thing that happens is eventually government policies catch up with all of this because you know, the government also responds to those with the loudest voice. And those with the loudest voice, unfortunately, in the system of capitalism is with those with the deepest pockets. So once the companies that are actually selling plant-based products uh, are profitable and successful and big enough, they will put enough pressure that our government policies eventually catch up with the fact that we are artificially keeping meat, dairy, and eggs cheap in this country, and the planet's paying the price. Our health is paying the price. And of course, billions of animals slaughtered in factory farms every year are paying the most the ultimate price in all of this. That is wonderful. My husband went out last night because when we do the academy, he goes away and uh, <laughs> he got himself an impossible burger. And I said, are you going to go back today and have another one? He said, no, I do that once a week. And now I'm going to tell him he can do it more often because it's good for the planet. <laughs> so, Neil, um, you have this book, and we're going to be talking a lot about that in the second half. If anybody, if you haven't seen it, it's just a precious little book. And I know you could get it as an ebook too. Those are out there. But golly, I love this book as a book. It has a hard cover and a small size, and it is a perfect book to read and hand off to a friend or to just have on your desk at work because it's really cute and people will notice. This is Eat for the Planet, Saving the World One Bite at a Time. It's so readable. It has little short chapters. Did you learn from the internet and from being part of that world how to write a book for 2018 readers? Yeah. Yes, I think I've had this book in me since the day I decided I wasn't going to uh, eat meat, dairy, and eggs anymore um, and seafood. And I, I've i been, you know, we, I launched One Green Planet back in 2013, and that was done for the mission. You know, the mission was clear. I wanted to use the power of online media to bring these facts, bring the 
positive stories of um, animals being rescued from uh, factory farms and living out their lives in peace and sanctuaries, of the devastation that uh, industrial animal agriculture is causing to the planet, and the power of plant-based foods and how it's delicious. Bring all of these ideas and this knowledge and present it in a format that uh, was, you know, back then what was needed in 2013, which is people were shifting to all their media consumption online. They were relying on websites and social media. And my goal was simple, to create a media platform that would pull all the best ideas and the voices and the knowledge from the space and present it to people who otherwise, like me in the past, would have not been open to the idea of, uh, of eating vegan food or even ever being vegan because to me it seemed like this thing you did only if you were a hardcore activist. Um, and I think my goal with that and now with this book is to be able to give information and present it in a format that can be most easily consumed by people uh, in a format that they can, you know, kind of con used to um, and familiar with. And no one, unfortunately, especially young people, don't want to read big, dense books anymore. And the environmental aspect of this um, issue with farming tends to get very statistic heavy and very research heavy. So the last thing we wanted was another dense book that you know people would have on their bookshelf because it looks cool and makes them look intellectual, but they would have actually never read it. And no one they handed it off to would read it. The goal with this book was to be able to present it almost in my eyes. I was joking with Gene when we were working on this book that we're working on a book for people who don't like books. We're working on a book for the social media age, which is why you'll see the hashtag eat for the planet throughout the book, because we want people to get drawn in by maybe even one chapter or maybe even one infographic or one list in the book. And then perhaps they'll go online and dig a little deeper and try to figure out what is this eat for the planet thing and what does this food really look like? And yes, it is really a book designed um, to be to be passed on, really. Um, so even if you think you know everything that's in this book and you're convinced uh, and you're on board uh, with uh, what Victoria and I are doing, I think we needed something that could be a gentle um, introduction for someone who thinks of plant-based food or factory farming is this big, dark, evil, crazy thing that I don't want to even learn about because it just depresses people. Uh, and this book presents hard-hitting facts and tells the truth, but at the end of the day, leaves every chapter and concludes with a very positive message. Um, and I think that's really the point. I wanted to bring out all the facts, but then draw people, people's attention to the simple, impactful solution that is change the way you eat three or more times a day and you can change the world. What a wonderful, wonderful message. So the book is Eat for the Planet and there's the podcast Eat for the Planet too. You know, I heard it said that if you listen to podcasts, you need to tell people about other podcasts because that's the audience. So you guys, here's another one for you. If you don't listen already, Eat for the Planet. You can also find the, the uh, website for Eat for the Planet, eftp.co, and uh, One Green Planet on Facebook, One Green Planet on Twitter, One Green Planet on Instagram, and of course, One Green Planet. So check it all out, and we'll be back right after these messages. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Too often, people desire prosperity but are not willing to pay the price. What is the price? It is sharing, giving, loving, and caring. Prosperity needs an inflow and an outflow, just as a body of water does if it is to remain fresh and clean. As we create an outflow by giving in love, we experience the inflow of a greater awareness of good in our lives. Perhaps you've been led to believe that for every winner in this game we call life, there must be a loser. The truth is that you rarely lose by giving. In giving freely without thought of return, we set in motion a great momentum of goodness. When we give, everyone is a winner. You have something unique to offer the world, something no one else can give. Whatever your gift, know that it is precious, give it freely, share it in love. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Follow Unity Online Radio on Facebook and Twitter and stay up to date with all your favorite shows. Become a fan by clicking the like button. You can join in with a Facebook Live event or just like and share our post. Be the first to find out about any big special guests that might be appearing on the air or any events at Unity Village. We want to hear from you. Make sure you leave any questions or comments about Unity programming. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for cutting-edge health information, make sure you join Dr. Evelyn Higgins every Monday at 11 a.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. On the Dr. Evelyn Higgins Show, you will look at your health from all angles, the physical, spiritual, emotional, and intellectual. Dr. Higgins is an internationally recognized expert on health and wellness with over 29 years in clinical practice. Join the show with your questions and comments. The doctor is in. Tune in every Monday on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Thanks so much for being part of our program today. I'm here with Nil Zacharias of One Green Planet and co-author with Gene Stone, the writer's writer. Oh my gosh, when I grow up, I want to be Gene Stone. The book is Eat for the Planet, Saving the World One Bite at a Time. And I'm Victoria Moran, the Main Street Vegan. That all came about back in 2012 
when I wrote a book called Main Street Vegan. I'd already been vegan for, whoa, a really long time, 28 years. I think that makes me an early, early adapter. And now I have all kinds of friends, all of you, so many vegans, not enough, but lots and lots. So I invite you to check out everything that goes on at MainStreetVegan.net. We have a weekly blog, and this week it's by Rebecca Sharp, who is a retreat leader, yoga and meditation teacher, and a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy, which makes her a vegan lifestyle coach and educator. She lives in Brazil and the USA and has written a beautiful, thoughtful piece called, eh, We Get Used to Things, about how we see the world and how we uh, look at things through our own history and sometimes our own traumas. It's quite fascinating. I invite you to look at that. And when you see on the site, want to be a Main Street Vegan? If you sign up there, you become part of our inner circle and you get lots of information that eh, the general public just doesn't have access to. I also want to do a shout out to our sponsor, and those are the good people of Compliment. Is this the best diet on earth? Yeah, I happen to think so, and a lot of the scientific literature would agree with that. There are a couple of things that vegans need to watch out for, and some things non-vegans need to watch out for, too. So you've all heard about B12 and vitamin D3 and those fully formed omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA. Well, guess what? You can get them all in a totally convenient spray called Compliment, and that is designed by Pamela Ferguson. She is a Ph.D. dietitian up in Canada, and Matt Frazier, the no-meat athlete. It's great stuff. They just changed the formula, and now it tastes even better than before. You can find that at alpineorganics.co, and if you want to get some for yourself where it says discount code, just put in Main Street Vegan in all caps, and you'll get yourself 10% off. And speaking of 10% off, all summer long, if you are in New York City or visiting New York City and you stop in at Candle Cafe West, my ooh, favorite, favorite restaurant. Can I say favorite? I have so many favorites. It is certainly up there as a big time favorite. And all you have to say is you listen to the Main Street Vegan podcast and they're going to give you 10% off. So see who said being vegan was expensive. Now back to our interview with Mill Zacharias, who is busy saving the planet and taking some time out to do that with us this afternoon. So, Nil, we mentioned in the last uh, segment that you do have a podcast as well, and yours focuses on something a little bit different than a lot of the vegan and plant-based podcasts. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the podcast is called Eat for the Planet um, as well, and I've been I really launched the podcast because I – felt that we needed to celebrate the stories and talk more about the journey of people that have been working on solutions that, you know, once you learn about the devastation that animal agriculture causes to the planet, our health and animals, and if that resonates with people, they go plant-based or they start cutting down on their meat consumption, and some of us go forward and then try to become part of the solution by launching companies, whether it is, in my case, launching a media company, uh, now writing a book and launching a podcast and many more things to come, hopefully, in the future. 
Uh, others have really in the last few years done amazing things by starting food companies, uh, investors who are supporting businesses that are trying to make the world a better place. Um, and, you know, thought leaders and, and really intelligent, smart people such as yourself, Victoria, which and you're going to be on the podcast soon as well. Uh, I can't wait for that. And I wanted to get people on board and dive deeper into that journey, right, to talk about how do you go from being someone who is uh, deeply passionate about saving the world, about plant-based food, about bringing about change, and then using the skills that you have at your disposal um, and coming up with new ideas and trying to contribute and create in such a way that you then can change other people's minds or taste buds or hearts when it comes to how they view food and their place on the planet. So I talked to a lot of CEOs of food companies, I talked to a lot of venture capitalists, um, authors, uh, health experts as well. But you know, as opposed to talking about why they went vegan, I talk more about what it is that they're doing now, now to spread that message and how they're going about that journey, which as you know, being an entrepreneur is not an easy ride. It is glamorized and it may seem like everyone has a great idea, but to execute on that and be successful takes a lot. And my hope is that people listening to it would be inspired to do their own thing, whether it is launch a food company or write a book or launch a podcast even. It's funny that you say that it's not easy. When I married my husband 21 years ago, he came in from work one day and he'd always been in the corporate world at that time. And he said, wow, other people get paid just for showing up. You actually have to do something. <laughs> I think that's kind of the story of the entrepreneur and the artist as well. So tell us your entrepreneurial story. Yeah, I was an accidental entrepreneur. I don't think I ever set out to be one. I was, um, you know, as you said earlier on the show, I used to be an attorney a long time ago. I'm a recovering uh, lawyer now. Uh, I only did that for a couple of years, and I spent the bulk of my career working in online media uh, for digital media companies like Yahoo and others that were acquired by, by Google. And I was I was going about my life was fairly successful. I uh, lived in New York City, uh, considered myself to be on my way up. I was maybe a year or two away from being a vice president in the company I was working for. And... Then, uh, you know, that trip to South America happened and I, I learned about this thing called animal agriculture. And I guess the rest is history. So for me, deciding back in 2010 that I was going going to eat plant based was just the start of a complete life transformation. And while I continued in my job for the next couple of years, um, I couldn't shake the idea that why is, if I could change me? someone who was this lover of meat and, and everything animal-based, uh, who would actually make fun of people around the table if they were vegetarian. I had gone vegan, something that I would have never imagined could happen in this lifetime for me. I felt that maybe I could, in, small, in a small way, help other people see the light as well. Um, so I kind of started to think of the idea that I understood media, I understood online advertising and um, and how all of that worked. How could I use those skills and apply them to this space and kind of create a, create a platform that was more solution oriented, that would talk about positivity, that would uh, celebrate um, farm animals uh, and being rescued, that would talk about the environment, but also point to the solution. And that kind of the genesis of that sort of morphed into One Green Planet and in in 2013, I, I officially quit my job and decided to go all in 
Um, and uh, it's been a crazy fun um, roller coaster of a ride since then. We we used to reach about you know there were no platforms like that back in 2013. Now there are quite a few, and it's encouraging to see others join on board and do this. But there were a lot of blogs, and our goal was to be this one platform that would bring everyone together. And uh, we we quickly reached over six seven million people uh, a month through our website and our social media channels. And that's been a, a fascinating, fun journey. I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, we've we've been you know successful in the sense, but I, I measure our success based on how many lives have we impacted, and I really don't know how to measure that because. Uh, Maybe maybe through the emails we get or the letters we get, but um, I'm hoping we've at least changed a few hearts and minds to um, think about farm animals differently, to change their relationship with the natural world and understand that it isn't something separate from us, but we are part of it. Uh, and most importantly, uh, time and again, to point people to the solution, um, which is uh, changing the way we eat. So uh, Eat for the Planet kind of came out of One Green Planet and Eat for the Planet was really a campaign that we launched back in 2015, actually, to try to make the environmental case for why plant-based foods is the future of food, uh, because we felt like that wasn't being done in a big way. But look at it now, we're in 2018, and, and more and more people are talking about uh, the environmental impact of factory farming. In fact, 39% of Americans are, are seeking more plant-based foods, and it's because of a range of reasons, health reasons, environmental reasons, and maybe because some of them read something on One Green Planet or heard something on my podcast, and maybe if some of them read this book, uh, that's why I do this for. So um, I'm really on this journey, I think, in One Green Planet's uh, the first step. Uh, the book and the podcast is the second, and I, hopefully there'll be many more uh, where I think we need more entrepreneurship. We need more uh, creativity uh, to bring about the kind of change we need. Uh, as I said earlier, we're on this race against time and the, the 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 way we can win that race is if we all do our part uh, and i think each one of us as individuals has our own purpose and if uh, you have um if you connect with the idea that food can be uh an entry point to changing not just your life but potentially the entire planet then i think you have a responsibility to use uh, the time that you have to to to, to try and create something. Yes. And I know it's not for everyone. Um, not everyone wants to be an artist or an entrepreneur or a writer, but the times we live in, and we were discussing this earlier, Victoria, is that uh, even our economy has changed and that idea that you will graduate college and, and get a job and, and stay in a job for 10, 15 years and have this smooth sailing career is no longer true anymore. Uh, I think people um, can kind of uh, create their own stories and craft their own futures. And I think finding your purpose is a is a great new first step. Most people, the challenge in their life is they don't know what they're passionate about. The good thing is if you're a vegan and this is what you love doing, uh, you've already found your passion. Now it's just a question of learning a few skills. Uh, and even if you don't have any skills, you know, just being able to go out there and try a few things, volunteering, uh, connecting with people. And one thing I've learned that people who are part of this movement to bring better food to the forefront are um, very collaborative and we all help each other out. And uh, I try to do the same because if, when I was getting started, if I was doing this on my own, I would have never succeeded. I would have never achieved anything. Uh, so I'm very mindful of that now uh, that I think I'm in a position where I think I can help others as well, whether it is 
you know, giving them jobs or connecting them with someone. And I try to live that every day because I think the more you give, I find as, as you know, my journey of an entrepreneur, the more you give, the more it comes back. I think the universe just works in that way. And I don't mean to sound too spiritual, but I think that's just the laws of nature. Uh, well, you can sound spiritual. We're Unity Online Radio, <laughs> the voice of an awakening world. <laughs> spiritual is cool. So I love what you said that you had been in the internet technology media world and then you founded One Green Planet. And what I see with my Main Street Vegan Academy graduates and others is that very rarely does somebody go off on a tangent and do something in the vegan world that they had no experience or interest in before. And so many people say, well, oh gosh, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a whatever. What does that have to do with saving animals, saving the planet? Well, you know, if you think a little bit, you brainstorm, <laughs> you can figure out a way that what you already know can shift into this. And the starting point may be, you know, the beauty of where we are in 2018, as opposed to even, say, four or five years ago, which was really not that long ago. You have this new, um, I call it the, uh, the conscious economy, really. Plant-based foods are just one aspect of it. But you have, uh, thanks to people realizing that the only way to make capitalism better was to actually play within the rules of capitalism, but yet do good things. You have companies out there that are looking to hire in this space. So at least as a starting point, I think it's become much easier for you to say, okay, where's my skill? Where's my interest? At least try to get some work experience working either for say a plant-based food company, a restaurant, a media platform, a, a nutritionist or anyone out there who's our author so that you can get your foot in the door and make a few connections. And I think keeping an open mind um, and an open heart when you kind of jump into the space is the best way to approach it. Where And sometimes the answers will then just come to you. You will end up meeting someone who just is that perfect match. Mm -hmm. uh, and you may you know, either launch a company together or you may join on board someone else's mission. I think we all have a role to play. Of course, everyone out there doesn't have to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. The beauty is the opportunities exist. Yes. Um, and I think you just have to wake up every day and try to find them. Yeah. Uh, and connections and networking in the space has also become so much easier now, uh, thanks to a lot of good work that people are doing. So I think if, if you have the will and you're ready to work hard and be humble, uh, I think anyone can do this, really. I think that you have to stay humble being an entrepreneur, or even working in any space at the end of the day. The moment you let ego get in the middle of all of it, uh, you're going to lose sight of what your actual mission is. Exactly. And in this space, no one does this because we wanted to become rich. We would have picked a billion other professions if that was the goal. Um, but the thing is, there is money now in the space. And if you're going to do it, you may be able to be successful as well from a financial standpoint. So do good, save the world, um, and also um, build something great for other people. The time is really right now. Right, exactly. And and for people who are very happy and content in the profession or, or the job that they're in now, it's exciting to support vegan companies. Mm -hmm. Whenever I can go out and buy something that I know was made <laughs> by somebody in a kitchen somewhere or you know some of the wonderful fashions and I've met the designer – it's so different from just going somewhere and picking up something because I happen to need it. Yeah. Yeah. You have each one of us has a role as a as a consumer at the end of the day. Right. We are we run businesses. We are entrepreneurs. We are 
creative forces, but at the same time, we are also people going out there spending our money. And with every, you know, I know it's cliched, but you have, uh, you can vote when you spend, you can vote with your dollar, whether it is the food you buy, the clothes that you buy, all the establishments, the brands you choose to support, work with people and give your support to people who are aligned with your values. And we are finally in a place where there's enough of them out there that you can literally go through an entire day, depending on, of course, which city you live in and, and, and your financial situation. You can go through an entire day only supporting businesses that you agree with from an ethical standpoint, that who share the same values as you do. So you know every dollar you put in is giving tenfold back because that company is then going to go and hopefully become more successful. And that's, again, back to that's when you are able to, and I don't love this word, but you're able to hack capitalism and actually make it something better. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the place we're in and, and we're seeing a lot of momentum in companies and individuals who want to see that happen. And I think, um, you know, by even talking about this, we are hopefully, you know, getting someone else who previously never thought about it interested in this idea. Right. When I first started seeing some of these things that you're talking about, back in Kansas City, single mom, not much money at all. <laughs> but I knew that I wanted to support small businesses, cruelty-free products and all that. And at that time, even more than now, and I think now still, they're, they're often more expensive than some of the more mm -hmm. mass-produced stuff. And I thought, how am I going to justify this and you know, still be a single mom and not be in debt and all that? And I was introduced to the religious practice of tithing, of giving 10% of your income to something good. And I thought, you know, some portion of that could be the difference between my cruelty-free natural toothpaste <laughs> and the other stuff. Yeah. That, And it's really a, a wonderful way to just know that um, everything you do, what you think, what you consume, and how you spend your money is going to a better world. So you talk in this book about something that we used to talk about back in the 70s and the ancient times a lot, and that's world hunger. Mm. And we almost never talk about that in the vegan world anymore, but it hasn't gone away. And you give five reasons why governments around the world decided that growing feed for livestock was more important than feeding hungry people. Can you talk about some of those? Yeah, so um, I encourage you to read that list because it is way more uh, it, it is way more hilarious than I will be in this uh, in this interview. But the the reason I even wrote that and the reason we want to talk about world hunger is that. About 40% of the world's grain is fed to livestock, while nearly a billion people go to bed hungry every night. That is still what's happening. And the simple answer to why that, that is the problem today is because it takes about, you know, we are taking food, we're growing food to feed the food, our food. We're taking, we're growing grain to feed and pass it through animals and then convert that into an end product that we consume. And in the process of doing so, there's tremendous calorie loss. So all the world's energy is going towards uh, growing livestock feed predominantly, which is then fed to farm animals. So if you take 100 calories of grain and you pass that through an animal, what you get out of it is 44 calories of milk, 20, 40 calories of milk, 22 calories of eggs, 10 calories of chicken, 8 calories of pork, and only 3 calories of beef. So imagine the calorie loss in the process. 
What most people don't understand, beef cattle that are on this planet consume enough calories that could feed 8.7 billion people. That's more than the entire population on Earth, which is 7.5 billion people today. So the astounding insanity of the situation is that if we could just get everyone to eat a predominantly plant-based diet, we would be able to easily redirect some of this grain to, to feed people instead of feeding farm animals. We could actually feed about 4 billion people, according to some studies, if we were able to shift some of this grain production and some of that land to produce food directly for humans. But that's not happening. And that's not happening because you know, back to what I said before, in mass industrialization has brought us to this point where we are kind of stuck in the system where it is cheaper to eat meat, dairy, and eggs than it is to eat uh, plant-based foods. And we and the government makes it artificially cheap because we are growing about 47% of our soy and 60% of our corn is all going to farm animals. And all our resources are going towards including water and land to growing those crops to feed those farm animals. Well, people at the end of the day don't have access to food. And I think we've, we've got to untangle that system. And we don't really talk about hunger too much anymore because again, it's one of those things that seems to be out of sight and out of mind. And I'm not trying to say that, that hunger is the, the only cause for hunger is animal agriculture because there are some systemic problems with the way food is produced and distributed uh, and the inequalities of, uh, of nations in general that has created this, this case where about a billion people go to bed hungry every night. But by supporting the system, you're definitely not helping. By supporting factory farming, you're only making the problem worse because we're gonna run out of land, we're gonna run out of fresh water. And what most people, just think about this, in the next 40 years, we're going to have to produce more food to feed the world's population that has been produced in the past 10,000 years combined. So it's kind of an impossible problem to solve. And if we maybe don't feel it right now, we're, we're going to reach a point 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now when it is going to become real. And one of the key things I wanted to bring out in this book was to help people understand that it isn't just about greenhouse gas emissions. And it isn't just about grain use. It is about water, it's about land, it's about pollution, it is about how the oceans are being impacted, it is about how the rainforests are being destroyed, and how this um, confluence of problems, you know, we've kind of reached the perfect storm right now, where all these things are interacting with each other, where we are gonna find ourselves a few years from now where we are running out of land and fresh water, and we are not able to grow enough food to feed the world. And unfortunately, the poor and the underprivileged and those that are economically disadvantaged and in parts of the country that don't have the kind of access that we do are the ones who will suffer the most in the beginning. So I come at this from a very global standpoint. I didn't grow up in America. I grew up in, in Bombay, India. And uh, I've seen the shift happen over there over the years as I go back and visit. I've been here now for 16 years. Uh, meat eating is on the rise in Asia, especially in China and India, where the population of the world is also growing. And that tells you that you really we need a global solution to the problem at the end of the day. We can sit here and talk about our vegan restaurants, and it's great. And we can talk about how things are so convenient and accessible, but we've got to make 
this message go and resonate across the world so that countries like China and India don't repeat the same mistakes that we've made. Don't go down this path of dependency on a factory farming system that's basically destroying our planet's life support systems. And we've got to convince them that now's the time to shift in the right direction, that plant-based is the right food to eat, is, you know, because you've got cultural issues as well. Meat has typically associated with someone being uh, better off. And especially as these countries, especially in India, I've seen this happen, as the lower middle class rises and they become part of the middle class and they suddenly have disposable income, they want to go eat out. They want to go eat a burger. They want to go try McDonald's. They want to try eating beef, even if maybe sometimes their religion may prohibit them from eating beef. So we've got an uphill climb and it, you know, sometimes, and I know I like to be positive, but I think it's important for us to also be real sometimes is that we are facing a massive crisis and you know, hunger is just a starting point, back to your question. But if you connect the dots, it, it can quickly get very overwhelming. <laughs> well, there are also answers. And there's also the, this great excitement that you bring to this. So please, everybody, check out, buy, get as a gift, eat for the planet, saving the world one bite at a time, Neil Zacharias and Gene Stone. All the websites at eftp.co, One Green Planet. Now, we are not going to have a show next week because it is Independence Day in the U.S., so we're going to take our dog to Canada. We're going to miss Canada Day, and then we're going to be there for Independence Day, so there are no fireworks, and I'll have a happy dog, hopefully. We will be back with you on the 11th with the first vegan film festival happening in Ottawa, and Dr. Joel Kahn will love that. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.